Well, hey there, Tim. Hey, is for horses, Ryan. Did you know that? Third grade's back. Great. And hey, hey, <laughs> everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 151 of Dismembering Horror. The podcast. <laughs> Try to do creepy Just horse. Keep that doing for keep that going the whole episode. <laughs> the podcast shoe were myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film at a as a at a clip of once a week here for <laughs> <Clip>. you. <laughs> we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. And I, out of character, put those emphases on we and us and me and I, just to stress that that's all we claimed to be. This is mere uh, fun riffing with friends under the guise of our stated formula. Tim? (laughs) (laughs) Anything else to add to that? Dramatic pause for effect. Just soak it in. <laughs> it seemed, I turned to you and you were just, just still looking at me. Yep, just looking <laughs> to see if there was more to that. Well, you nope. I think I think there should be more to it. It in general setting it up. It is what we're doing here. Just, we like to say we're on a quest for what we haven't seen, what has long since been uh, long since been seen for us. We find horror is just a genre which especially allows for delving and discussions into all uh, all that humanity has to offer. Yep. And its plights and problems. I may have inhaled too much spray adhesive earlier because I feel like I am in outer space. We are. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> You're blowing my mind. <laughs> and somehow appropriate for one of our uh, reality-bending stories here. Seriously. <laughs> yes, indeed, for today, we pulled from our hat last week for today from 2005, Strange Circus from prolific Japanese filmmaker, writer-director of this film, Sono, Son- Sion Sono. Yeah, Sion. I think that's how you say it. Sion Sono. We've uh, previously covered on this show his film X-Day Hair Extensions. (laughs) Yeah. Much uh, lighter tone, you could say. Mm. Subject matter? Yeah, uh, Yeah. sure, yes. All his films are... The only thing he's more notorious for than the sheer amount of films he's making, which I guess still isn't close to like Takashi Miike. Um, We also watched a film of recently... But his uh, subject matter, he uh, goes there, so to speak. Yeah. Tim, this was the first film we've watched where, like, especially in that, like, this, this, the setup that kind of goes on and on, the first third of the movie. Mm-hmm. I almost wanted to, like, 
is just the the sheer subject matter. I was like, just wanted to almost like apologize for suggesting this. It's just like so much. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I I felt I I wanted I was apologizing to myself. Yeah, <laughs> for watching it. But then you know, and then I keep having the other voice in my head, which is your voice too, being like. I can. I don't know if you've said this, but I feel like we've said, you know, agreed upon. We just want to see the worst mo- the shit out there. You know, just yeah. like, we want to see the horror movies. Like, what else are we here for? Give us your worst. I'm starting to feel like that, that, uh, whatever you would call it. Um, Proclamation? Yeah. It <laughs> is, it's waning. Like, We've watched a lot of crap in the last, I'd say we're far outweighed by like unenjoyable, crappy crap over the last like, I don't know, 30 watches, 30 episodes. You're uh, largely, I mean, it's, you mean more so than our usual kind of ratio for you? It feels like it to me for some reason. Maybe that's totally not the case, but. It has felt that way to me. I wonder if that's not a product of us not watching it at the same time, mm-hmm. partially. Um, but either way, I'm like, I feel starved. For, this is actually true across the board with anything I'm watching lately. I feel really starved for really good content. Like something where I'm like, wow, that was incredible. I mean, you just got to... It seems so few and far between right now. I feel like you just got to, you know, see all those filmmakers you always hear about as being great and kind of find what suits you. Because, I mean, they're they're out there. Like, when is is Panos going to make another movie? (laughs) When is, you know, Ari Aster going to make another movie? Like, I'm sure they're making movies, but, like... Yeah. I need need more of that stuff. Um, The Green Knight is coming out I need soon. that. Like, I need that <laughs> in my life so badly right now. So, it's, you're mostly talking about recent? Films? No, no. I'm, I mean, that's that's a part of it. That's just a part of the, the reality of it. But I'm, I don't believe, or I don't want to believe that we've, this cannot be true, that there isn't great, great, great horror out there from the past that we haven't seen yet. Like that cannot be true. Maybe I, feel, I mean like, I guess it can be I feel true. Like but I still, doubt it's true. I don't know. Like this in like looking at the last 30 episodes at the way beginning of the last 30 episodes. Um yeah, no, we had a good string of, I think, solid string. Bone Tomahawk into Vampire into New Year's Evil into whatever happened to Baby Jane. And like whatever happened to Baby Jane, especially it's like it's that was so cool seeing a classic that was like mm-hmm. so so good we hadn't seen yet. That means there's one less of those out there for us. Well, that's true. I've I had seen. I think that's kind of where I'm sitting right now is that I've seen uh seemingly can somebody just tell me like suggest a movie that that I have not seen. <laughs> How you would know that, I don't know, but suggest a great movie that I haven't seen that will blow my mind. That's what I want in my life right now. And it's, you know, hard to find. Yeah. 
Yeah, this wasn't it. I'm, you know, sadly, <laughs> circus, circus of circus smirkus, strange circus smirkus. Saint <laughs> uh, Maud was all right. Had its actually, yeah, I liked Saint Maud. It left me wanting a little bit more, but that's good. Uh, the original Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde was great. Yeah, that's I, yeah. It's interesting. There's there is a very specific sweet spot. I guess it's more of an itch, you know, like there's an itch that for me that gets scratched by a very particular kind of realm of movie. And, you know, like I said, the, the like Panos does it. Um, uh, what's his name? Lighthouse. Robert Eggers. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus. Robert, Robert Eggers does it. Uh, you know how who else does it? Ty West. Yeah. Um, who I haven't seen anything from. I think he's maybe been doing TV more or something. I remember you recommended uh, The Bad Batch. Anna Lily has a new film coming out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those times in our lives where I've spent a lot of time searching because I have a lot of time to just sit and search. And I'm not, I feel like I'm being unsuccessful in those searches. Yeah. And then getting frustrated and watching something like, I don't know. I have mediocre. <laughs> two two thoughts on all that. Um, I wonder if, I, I, I don't know, this maybe happens more with me than it does with you, but I always want to like hold out hope that this does happen with you as we go along our show. Where films that are like, more, more just like lower rent it's or whatever for you, kind of like over time, it, they grow on you in a way. Like, I just keep thinking more and more fondly of, you know, in our last 30 episodes, something like um, Night of the Demon, you know, the British one, not <laughs> yeah, demons yeah. that we just watched. Even um, Village of the Damned, you know, like those two happen to be what, like, yeah, British. But they, I don't know, there's, there's something really cool about them when you look back at them and think about them. And then also, I was wondering what you think of this. Um, I was watching, you know, um, Quentin Tarantino's kind of making the talk show rounds and stuff right now, promoting the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm, mm -hmm. And um, this interviewer was kind of ragging on him. But Quentin, you know, what, what's all this nonsense about one more film? You got to, like, you're at the top of your game right now. And you're, it's like, you're just 58 or whatever kind of thing. And mm -hmm. come on, what are you doing? And, you know, he had his usual, he's just kind of, wavering rant or whatever but the right. discussion discussion kind of landed on too how the the interviewers was trying to encourage him or they, what they kind of landed on and quentin pointed out and this is what i want to know your thoughts on is like we're at like like sort of tracking um what, what would you call them like different golden ages of cinema if you will oh, sure and the ebb and flow of all that and how it feels like uh the the last maybe even like a couple decades can be kind of maybe a few decades actually could uh can kind of be compared to the um, the sort of the 50s and the first half of the 60s where it was uh, you know as compared to then the what we think of the the late 60s and 70s as a right. certain booming right and then the pre-code boom, like that late 30s, early 40s period, we look back at a lot. The, mm -hmm. the Wizard of Oz's and all that. 
um, it, they were kind of like, it feels like we're due soon for kind of a, another boom. Not that so we, of, of, through all those eras, we do always have the great films throughout them that pop sure, up. Of course. But as far as some kind of what feels like um, more of a movement, mm-hmm. we're due. Renaissance. <laughs> yeah. And so he was saying, oh, and Quentin, I hope, uh, you know, you could be a part of that. And he's, oh, we'll, we'll see. But do you, is that a sentiment that's maybe wrapped up in what you were saying? I think so, maybe. It's hard to, when you're in it, it you, you know, it's really hard to have perspective on it. Like there may be really amazing movies that are that are being made or have just been made that we just don't have, we haven't seen. You know, like there's, it's a weird time. Um, I think it used to be, well, I don't know, actually. I'd have to really think about this. But like my first instinct is to sort of think about the the platform realm that we exist in right now. So, you, you know, you've got, what, I don't know, six major streaming services. Some of, you know, some people have all of them. I don't have all of them. I have like probably two thirds of them or something like that. And it's probably more than six total anyway. But point being is that because of exclusivity within those platforms, there's just stuff you don't have access to. And we also, you know, I'm not going to the theater in the last year plus. So, and also just the, you know, like, can you afford to go see every movie? No. So there's this, it's an interesting time where maybe this has always been true just in a different way, but accessibility to, and knowing what is rising to the top uh it's different now i think that there's a um saturation point that it's almost like choice paralysis i like i i don't feel like i can keep up with what may be the great great movies that are out there right now now some of the time you know like you hear about it but like how many filters has that gone through you know like subjective filters right like well watch a portrait of lady on fire if you still haven't seen it i haven't that's when i think of like great 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 films to come out in recent years that's interesting i keep so okay this brings me to my i had another thought on what you're saying too real quick just just to quickly mention um yeah no it's interesting you're saying it's both oversaturation of what to pick paralysis and inaccessibility right as far as on the inaccessibility you mentioned the glut of the, all the streaming services. You have to have all that. But think of all the films that aren't even available on any of well, those streaming services. Exactly. I think that's the other biggest thing right. just to mention. Yeah, so... Um, okay, so that brings me to the second point where I, for some reason, am resisting watching stuff like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like, I'll be like, oh, I need to watch that. And then I won't. I still haven't watched Parasite. So there's this weird thing happening, which I can't explain at all, but it's certainly paradoxical, of a desire to sink my teeth into great content and a resistance to it at the same time. I don't know what that's all about, but I do know that I'm not enjoying watching subpar things. What a shock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet I'm resisting getting into 
uh, ostensibly great things. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what my problem is. Is there anything else going on aside from the whole like, oh, it's so popular, meh, 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 like everyone's watching it? I don't suffer too much from that usually. Uh, With TV shows, I have that reaction sometimes when people are just like overselling things and I'm just like, I I have a hard time getting into a TV show. Movies less so. Um, I think part of the problem is attention span. And that the the last few years have, um, what's a good word for it? They've eroded my ability to focus in and enjoy something like full focus. I mean, to look at it as a purely like chemical scientific outlook. It's, I mean, I think our, you know, and everyone's talking about this, but everyone knows about this now, but like our our dopamine fueled addiction or whatever you'd call it from smartphones and scrolling. hundred percent. Like I'm feeling, I'm aware of it. Like when it's happening, I'm going, ugh. I mean, do you ever have the thought or urge to turn off your phone and put it in another room to sit and watch a movie that you really want to watch? Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you follow through with that? I guess sometimes lately what I've been doing is trying to turn off, um, any sort of, electron well that's not accurate uh media visual media i've been trying to sort of turn off and and actually like read a book (laughs) or listen to a record you know like listen to an album rather than just like put spotify on and have it shuffle through songs so trying to kind of revert back to a, a a former way of consuming things that's a little more like attention oriented yeah i mean you know (laughs) little things i think are helpful you know don't turn on your phone till a certain time after in the morning and also spend the early part of the day if you can out in nature or whatever like that yeah helps well (laughs) watch parasite too (laughs) i know right like well i mean part of it is circumstantial i know you're waiting for brit to watch it but it's it's all of these things that is a that is a factor i mean i think it's a valid one but it is still annoying like i want to watch this i like watching stuff great stuff in particular with other people so you know it'll happen um having said all that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Circus Smirkus was uh, was uh, difficult for me to stay focused on. No, me too, honestly. Yeah. And I think that that is partially due to what we're talking about, um, but also due to the style of it in particular. Um, so why don't we give our listeners a taste of that style by watching the trailer? Great. That sounds great, Tim. All right, here we go. By Sion Sono and Co. from 2005, Strange Circus. Well, Tim, 
per our rating system, let's figure out what we would tell ourselves. Would we tell ourselves to avoid this film, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I think that this movie is actually... I don't know. I'm so conflicted. It's it's actually quite... Man, I don't know how to put this. It's good and not good to me. I don't know why. I don't know what. I think it is... Man, I don't know. I don't know how to put this. Well, like, I almost think it's a rent for, for me, even though I don't really ever want to watch it again. So, yeah, this is... This is not a one to five star rating system. It is like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. you know, it's not a how good the film is necessarily. It's a, it's a <sighs> right, those right. four things I laid out. <laughs> right. Um, I just, it's one of those films where I can kind of, I think, step away from my experience watching it and be like, there's some really masterful things in here. And it's, there are things that are good directorially and design-wise and, and and sort of technically. And there are story components that I really, really like. But my experience watching it was not particularly pleasant. And that's not necessarily because I think the movie's bad. Because um, I don't think the movie's bad. But... I didn't like it. <laughs> so it's like, what the hell did I think? Yeah. Like, what am I saying? You know what I mean? So I, I'm conflicted because I'm like, I don't really know at this point. I think in a different maybe mindset or headspace going in, I'd be fine and be like, yep, that's a rent. Yeah. I'm more or less can echo your statements. Um, I can say the the just on the sheer filmmaking that makes it a rent for me, mm-hmm. and maybe it's maybe it's something I appreciate a lot too. I don't know that definitely puts it into a rent for me too. Just yeah. having seen a handful of his other films now, it's funny. I feel like half of them have been like this, where I'm like, all these elements are really strong, and it does come together in the end. But mm-hmm. it, there's this whole like. The, the biggest middle chunk, I just kind of get lost in a way that maybe if I was re-watching it, now that I know where it's going, it would actually work. Right. But I don't have an urge to watch it again just because right. it was a middle slog to get through. And then his other half of films, which um, which I enjoyed more that I've seen so far, which was X Day and um, uh, Love. Suicide Club. Oh, <laughs> what's the love uh, I was gonna say love exposure, exposure is right. a class of its own sure that's like a flat out masterpiece it's 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 like it's like kicking from the first frames kind of thing and doesn't stop for four hours it's incredible um, but Suicide Club and X Day they as far as that problem I set up earlier of kind of a middle slog they don't do that they didn't do that for me as much um Hmm. It was Himitsu and Guilty of Romance were the other two I'm talking about that were like this. But I mean, it was cool. I'm glad we watched um, Santa Sangre first. This filmed very Jodorowsky-esque <laughs> with the circus motifs and just kind of yeah. the, the dream flow, I suppose, mm-hmm. of the pacing. Which normally I would be really 
like fired up about. Yeah. But I had a hard time with it. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I don't know. It's I like, know why actually, but we'll get, okay. we'll, we'll get into that. Stuff like that with the extreme subject matter. It's like you both want that and you don't. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to give it a rent. Yes. Sorry. I was to say I'd give it a rent also. Even though <laughs> I really didn't like it. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. But I didn't like it. <laughs> Great. Well, let's break down now then what was going on in our summary here. It's... It's pretty it's pretty complicated, convoluted, but here we go. Um, well, I, I guess up front, I just want to say like all the, just uh, what the difficult subject matter could be. So like heads uh, up and... Yeah, yeah. And big, just kind of not to undercut it as just putting it as part of the story, but no, uh, rape, incest, pedophilia, and transphobia, mm-hmm. which you could say, you know, mm-hmm. the... As a result of the going, big five, yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, Jeez. shit, count all five fingers, just brutal stuff. But actually, I mean, from that point of view, Earth, I'm like, heart, this is water, fire. right? This is important in in so far as I don't think that this movie is. Well, maybe it is uh, trying to sort of. Open a conversation about these things. I don't know if that's intent, uh, the intent in any way, but how how would I know that? Um, I don't think it is exploitative of those things either. So I don't know. Point being, here's the story: a young girl named Mitsuko. 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 Okay. Let's try and get that down. Mitsuko. Miyazaki? Oh, no, that's the actress. Uh, We have Soyura. Oh, yeah, Mitsuko. Right. Mitsuko. She is being raped by her father, who's the principal of her school. Her mother is also being raped by her father, and she's being made to watch their um, sexual interaction. And vice versa. Eventually, right, the father lets the mother know that the daughter is watching, and then he starts having them exchange places. What this ultimately does is kind of breaks both of their brains, as you might imagine, to the point of them both, the both of the women, the daughter and the mother, having kind of this schism of reality in regards to their own identity they both kind of like fall into this question of am i me or am i my counterpart mother or daughter and that's kind of the root of the the arc of the film um most of the time we spend in this sort of first person narrative dream land uh, flipping between identities. We think that we know the narrative, um, but we get pulled out of that into kind of a, let's call it the present day reality. What we think is that the mother, um, or that the daughter, sorry, that the mother killed the daughter. And so the mother in her grief is, um, 
the daughter. The daughter, yeah. In her grief. Yeah. Has grown up to become an author. Right. And right, is right, right, writing right. about this experience is a is a sort of well established novelist working on this story. So we've kind of broken the dream world is is presumably now just the story that this author is writing. Right. The author then has an assistant start essentially reading and editing, maybe not editing, but like proofreading the novel. That assistant uh, is given the task of ulterior motive, find out more about this very private author and see if what she's writing about is true or see if they're like what skeletons are in her closet. Yeah, if she's the little girl in the story. Right. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, middle part, middle part, middle part. <laughs> Ultimately, we find out that the author is not the daughter, but rather the mother. And she had rewritten the events to suit her sort of schismed brain. Um, so in reality, she thinks that she killed her daughter by pushing her down the stairs. She assumed almost in a sort of schizophrenic way, her daughter's persona as an adult. God, this is convoluted, but, and has been carrying out this lie as well as becoming an author and being where she is now. Uh, <laughs> the assistant turns out to actually be the daughter who the mother thought she killed, but has been, uh, I don't know if you would say, I don't know if it's explicit that the the assistant is a trans man, but he at least is presenting as a man. Um, but he is her daughter, formerly her daughter, or still her daughter. And he <laughs> has been kind of tracking her down to seek out revenge on her for allowing her husband, the father, to rape their daughter. Now, added to that is this the fact that the mother had also uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, basically kidnapped, not kidnapped, but like she had captured the the hus her husband <laughs> kept him captive and kind of kept him tortured and <laughs> god this is ridiculous <laughs> and the and the <laughs> daughter has found this out and taken him to a, like a hotel room or something and chained him up and he's had his limbs. I think it's the room, no, from that they were growing up in. Oh, where the oh that's were. right. You're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking him back to the room that they 
this all would take place in a, a earlier cut off all of his limbs or his limbs were already cut off by the mother i can't i couldn't quite tell when things they were happened. already cut off when we see it <laughs> right so he's just sort of a torso but he's still alive and the daughter who is the assistant chains up his her mother uh as punishment and then I actually don't know what happens. How does it end? We cut to the circus, but but wait, yeah. does the daughter kill the mother and then herself? I think so, yeah. I think that's right. Oh my god. Um it is it's a lot. By that point we're switching between like like he yells out at one point uh but or is it a dream? And then we're just back in a different narrative section right. as if this whole thing we just watched wasn't happening, but then we go back to it. Right. So it's just so basically, yeah. And I guess the the circus you just mentioned, I want to point out for our summary and narrative here. That it's it's basically like a existing in her head interpretation metaphor, if you will, for life and sitting back and kind of dealing with your life, I guess. And for something that's so, you know, <laughs> not real and metaphorical, it is the most grounded perspective <laughs> we have throughout the whole film. Like that is the reality, quote unquote, we yeah. keep going back to, which I thought was really interesting. So like everything else, we're never quite so sure exactly. But the perspective we do have is this like, safety of a last performance of a circus before getting guillotined Mm -hmm. which is kind of we'll get more into that yeah i mean i guess that that was a really long way around to say that the daughter who suffered abuse from her parents primarily her dad raping her and her mom allowing it gets revenge on her mom and her dad yeah that's that's the baseline reality we know that happens um but man there's a lot of this person is this person and that person is this person (laughs) and this person was that person and this person thinks they were that person but they're actually this person but no just kidding they're in a dream and they're that person it's like it's it's (laughs) really a lot as you probably just gathered from our (laughs) summary here (laughs) it's tough it's tough i mean having said all that i followed it yeah it's not like it wasn't clear it's just like we set out on a path and then they go just kidding a bunch of times so take that for what it's worth great the end and we'll take this next section for whatever it's worth here we go what worked what worked what worked for you what worked for you (laughs) (laughs) it worked like a charm Smith. (laughs) what worked what worked Look, man, I like I said, I, I actually really like all of these things. Um, I like the dreamness. I like the constant like redirecting because it's not misdirecting. I don't even think it's just re- we're just we're redirecting to with new uh, through new eyes, I guess. 
Yeah, it's interesting. They're twists, but they aren't presented as such. It's more as just an aside. Oh, but actually it was this, is the sort of feel yeah. when you're watching it. And like, there are issues with that, but I think just at its sort of, in, in a basic level, like I like the, I mean, I like a, a, a story unfolding. Like I like new information happening and going, ooh, especially when it all does coalesce with meaning. It's the same feeling I had with Old Boy, where once you get to the sort of truth of really what is happening, it's cathartic. Or maybe a film we've watched here also, which this pulls plenty from or is really similar to this, Audition. Yeah, right. So that construct, I think, is really cool. Um, the, The visual... Uh, representation of a lot of the metaphors I think is really cool like the blood wall room I I don't even necessarily need to to like define it to be like I like that yeah that was great It, it just sort of on its very core you know face of it just evokes a a like base under basic understanding of like The shit is fucked. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, just to kind of, I guess, start overall here, but I'll tie it back to that. Like, one thing that was largely working is these difficult, tricky, you know, don't go there often theme, subject matter, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, It's done, this film has a sensibility in such a way where it feels like I can, it's, it's like difficult, but I can handle it. Like, there's still this sort of like, whether it's the the circus motif, the like idea that your whole life is in a guillotine, and then what you just said, you know, the blood hallway, and I thought that was really significant too. That the father is the principal of the school. Yeah, basically all this stuff adding up to this girl and the wife have no chance of escape. Like this, this mm, father's mm-hmm. domain, this this reality of normalizing what he's doing or whatever is just, it's just extended everywhere. So you think of, yeah, these blood-covered halls. His face on the TV for the morning announcements, just... Talking about the most important thing is family. Yeah, like lording over the children. Right. And, you know, and then in the other sequence, of getting pushed down the blood hallways with his just, you know, his um, angry, stern face there. I mean, I really think, you know, if you can step away from the sort of uh the, the the for lack of a better word the insanity of the movie um the what we're talking about is really sad and 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 a reality that exists in our world um and essentially to me i think the strength of the movie is giving a representation of the damage to a person or person's brains that this type of abuse does. Well, it's, it's and that like, I felt sort of almost a comfort in, in that, that at, at its root, what we're, what, what we're seeing and, and all of this craziness, there's still these, like these touchstones throughout of like, this is just, we're just seeing a person who has been messed up 
so badly by this abuse, go through that. Just go through trying to trying to just process it, just trying to survive. Well, all the everything we kind of laid out, we're seeing here, the circus, all that, and how you just described it, it makes me think like this is it's all a representation of a coping mechanism. And right. we're experiencing that with them. Right. Yeah. And there is it's it's weird because there's both a there's like a safety in that that does then allow us to view it, which is the coping mechanism. And then there's just the horror for what the actual situation is. Yeah. But it just kind of, I don't know, puts puts you in a place you can, <laughs> by being in that coping mechanism, you can watch it in a film, you know? Right. Like, like if it, imagine if it didn't have that circus stuff going on too. Yeah. It's really difficult. I mean, I, I, like you said, the first maybe half hour or so, I just was like, I don't want to watch this. Like, I just don't want to be here. Yeah, it, I, I agree, but and this, since this is still what worked, what did keep me, though, was being like, wow, this is, though, this is the beginning of the movie. This is I know, set up. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, God <laughs> yeah. damn, where are we going to go? Exactly. I'm like, this is going somewhere. Um, just one little other thought I had for the... Um, I thought the guillotine motif was really interesting that, you know, she that's how the movie starts, I think, with that quote about, like, yeah, being like you're on a guillotine and just it's thinking the, tr- the trap and life is a trap. There's this whole sort of through line of that. Yeah. And the the circus is maybe <laughs> life is circus, circus as life ending with a guillotine, you mm-hmm. know, is just a performance. So just that idea there that, you know, we're all going to die kind of th- that's, you know, what's getting at. But then what this is sort of, I want to say what this is sort of exploring or saying that's interesting is like maybe if life's an exercise in either accepting that or just not thinking about it or whatever, this is all a story of she's she's only, you know, stuck in that 12-year-old state of knowing she's in a guillotine, never actually being able to live a life, so to speak, you know, being stuck in that, <laughs> that trauma of, you know, you say we, we, I don't know, I won't say it's trauma, but it's that we all are going to die <laughs> dilemma, <laughs> you know, that uh, to be stuck within a kid mortality having to wrestle with because of, you know, her father's doings. It's a lot. Well, but, and, uh, but the, the problem is, is, <laughs> is that that's not actually what's going on. That's what's presented the the actual 12-year-old girl is the only person who self-actualizes in this movie. She grows oh, right. up to become the assistant and seek out revenge and exact it. Right. But we, it's, I know, that's, but you the movie is really tough. But the, the mom <laughs> becomes the 12-year-old in her mind and then that, and she gets stuck in that 12-year-old self but you could say, even though it's he's, just, I, I won't know if that's tough. so much actualizing as he's just still playing a part in the father's stories and repercussions and world. That's worlds. true. Yeah. You know, he didn't go off and no, start a right. new life right. in New you're York right. or whatever. Like, he at least <laughs> is able to exact, she is able to exact their revenge. Tragically. Yeah. Man, this stuff is tough. Like, these types of of stories where it's just so it just feels so futile right it's it's tragic it's, Again, it's, it's stuck in a guillotine yeah it, it's I felt kind of the same way even though this is a very different movie there are 
kind of thematic similarities um, in in Fight Club because we're kind of presented with one reality and we're seeing the world through this character's uh, the the unreliable narrator kind of character sense, and then that all gets flipped and we go, oh, here's what's actually happening. This person was that person, and that person was this person. So there's kind of a similar thing, but I, I, I my point is, I I left that movie feeling just really like despair of like what's the point (laughs) like we're all we're all just i don't know it's a hopeless plight of uh, life well that's why we give ourselves clowns and Mm -hmm. trapeze acts that's what life is right (laughs) yeah and but man it's it's really depressing yeah especially yeah i mean that's that's what I think is the interesting stuff with the circus. It was still all this like felt like a stifled childlike interpretation of a circus too, of just kind of like, don't look away, everything's fine. Yeah. You know, just this is, hey, look at the happy clown. But you know, you're like, no, there's more to offer though. <laughs> Let me out. Yeah, I mean, I I having said all that, like I think that these stories, telling these stories is as hard as it is to watch and to get through and our how our often our we leave going i wish i didn't have to do that i kind of think that's like in a way the a really important thing in life like we see so many issues arise in the world because people don't want to look at the shitty reality of things. They want to ignore it or gl- gloss over it or just sweep it under the rug kind of stuff. And this, these types of movies really are kind of being like, grab your face, put the pincer things in your eyelids, open them up and like force you to watch. And I think it's important. And I don't know exactly wh- why. Because like, is it important? I don't know. But like part of me thinks that it's important. It's it's grounding in a way. It's like these yeah. are just the the realities unavoidable, you know? You know what it's, it is? You're right. That's exactly right. It's the same. It's just a closer to to um the the truth, I guess, depiction of horror. And that's right. We've talked about this before. Why we why we like horror, why we watch horror, because it's often it's giving us a realm to uh, to almost be safe with looking at mortality and and looking at things that are bad or, or awful. And, you know, that's somehow psychologically good for us because it, it it keeps us in touch with that reality like it's our mortality sobering because then i think right. as we go through the rest of our life it's it's like you think that you digest it then you come to that place but then because of the way the world is largely built about being in denial about all those things it's like we get caught up in that again right so so then we sort of, I don't know, then could use these these check-ins along yeah. the way. Well, and it's, the like, big, it's why we had like cultures have like Dia, Day of the Dead and right. things like that, which we really don't have in American culture. I think the big, there's this sort of spectrum. And 
escapism through this lens is on like like truly escape is on one end of the spectrum and this is getting too close to non-escape right this move this type of movie is sort of like it's kind of amazing it's paradoxical in this sense but like it's showing you a totally like fantastical thing but the result is feeling like less escapism in in this depiction of this thing yeah. whereas like you could watch oh i don't know what a really good example is but like a like even freddy krueger is like a super fantastical but feels so escapism removed that like i don't leave that movie going wow the weight of of the reality of the shittiness of human beings is mm-hmm. just weighing on me <laughs> yeah but with this one i was like yeah, I I feel awful. Yeah, like watching any like heavy hitting documentary expose right. on something. Or but that's good. That is not a di- what didn't work. That's actually what works. Like yeah, that no. is a. I think why this movie is is important. These types of movies, you could. I mean, we could, you know, go back and forth of the the merits or the success of of this particular attempt at that stuff but but it still i think has merit yeah as far as just some touches that then still make this a movie there's something about the uh the cello uh uh case Mm. and just that Mm -hmm. idea or whatever you'd call it they (laughs) your turn in the cello case and then it all coming back with putting the limbless father in the cello case too with the hole sticking out of it i don't know it's really interesting imagery or just an idea that because rather than just being pure rape assault all that it's um (laughs) it's no the specificity of get inside the cello case yeah it does a bunch of things and i i just think it's it's just smart design in a way or smart sort of metaphor design like the shape of a cello case is very almost human, limbless human. It's got a neck. It's got a head. It's got curves, right? It's got shoulders and hips. Um, So it's got this sort of weird persona or like a human shape to it. But it's also a case that holds something. And that something is a instrument that to be played, you know, like there's, there's kind of, you can just kind of <laughs> keep rolling down the hill of metaphors with yeah. this particular thing. I don't know if that was super like thought out, but it just, it just is what it is. It and works. I think that's really amazing. Um, it just is a perfect vessel for, for this type of storytelling. I like it as we're just, when you have this, who the father is a uh, character like that person like that, that there are these, you know, it, his thing is largely being like, this is all normal. Oh, you know, it's like this, it's just all his world. Right. So there's something about just having additional little details that he's normalizing that just, I don't know, heightens that or just, um, or illustrates that just, Oh, time to get inside the box. You know, it's like, just it's all yeah. part of his his just weird world and the more you kind of have the specificities on top of it the more you can kind of see that 
Yeah, it's really hard for me to even like begin to talk about his character because it's it's impossible for me to even articulate like the deplorableness of of this type of person. And they exist in the real world. And that's super upsetting to me. Like, I don't even like thinking about it. But you have to. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's a really hard thing to... I don't know. I, I mean, I've written a, a, a story that has to do with with incest as well. And, like it's super difficult to figure out like what is, is appropriate to, to say or to depict. And like, and I often think, why am I, why am I even working on this story? Right? Like, what am I like? What's the point? Like, it just sucks. (laughs) Uh You know, it's so like back to our, the previous point, it's like, I think there is merit in it to get it, out there and and to say this exists and and to sort of show the 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 hor- the true horrors of humanity but i i almost just don't want to do it like <laughs> so i just fucking for lack of a better term i just fucking despise this guy this character well, that's what i kept feeling exactly what you say it's and like- i want to like turn it off yeah but then I kept remembering, oh, people like this are real. So yeah. this, it's allowing for some sort of like, I don't know, at the same time, can't look away. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I didn't, know. You, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. It's really, he's the worst. I don't know. For, uh, there's nothing else to sort of <laughs> frame it as. He's just the worst. And he's like a representation of all of the worst things that a human can be. And I'll say it again, I think important and helpful that he's the principal too. He's yeah. the, the Lord of the kingdom fully, fully. There's Pretty no typical, escape. right? Like yeah. in our real world, we see this fairly often. Yeah, the men at the top of the right. whatever. Well, some um, some filmmaking things I just wanted to point out <laughs> that I enjoy. <laughs> and this yeah. is... Uh, this is something Sion Sono does. And um, actually, what, uh, I've been watching some Wong Kar Wai movies. He does this too. Actually, another Asian filmmaker, I'm covering the gamut here, the Korean filmmaker, I've been watching tons of films of Hong Sang Soo. I'll do this thing that I love in this movie too, of like repeated usage of the same songs or, or mm. mu- music pieces. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, famous classical pieces. Yeah, There's... I, I just I'm finding that recently like really fascinating how it how it works basically at all where it doesn't get tiring it only sounds you get into it the more you hear it in a way mm. it's how it just sort of paints a whole like just something over it um I don't know I'm just currently fascinated by that and it is a technique that absolutely works for me and the fact that it like is working better or maybe just different in a way than a traditional score yeah that, that is and that really fascinating well it's so clear it's it's very deliberate right like it's for effect and you know it's, maybe, and it's doing it maybe it's because those pieces <laughs> they just are so they're famous and recognizable because they are just good and powerful and yeah. have a feeling to them so it's like just 
put it on there. We're- well, and it's also it's presenting a a irony throughout the, the movie a lot, right? Like we we our brains here, in particular, these sort of like they're. Uh, I think the 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 main one that's used in here, which I don't remember what what the piece is, but it's a romance um, song. And putting that up against this subject matter is pretty fucking dark. But they're also operatic and dramatic. So I feel like at the same time, it's not ironic in the sense that, well, what else can sort of carry that weight? Almost as if if we were to try to compose a score, it wouldn't be able to have the same impact as these, you know, just already heavy hitters we have in our library of music here in our world. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> There's a really good moment in in this. I think it may happen twice where um one of the characters in this in this scene it's the author who thinks she's the daughter but ends up being the mother. Uh just for clarification. <laughs> um she is in her she's in like a disguise to go to the bookstore to like talk to people who are looking at her novel that's on the oh, shelf. Yeah, that was it's, a good it's scene. Very, it's just, she's it's like wild. talking about herself. Oh, why do you think this author is so secret? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she goes in singing uh, a song and then the actual movie score takes over the song and, and continues the refrain of the song that she's singing. Oh, yeah, I loved that song throughout. It was like yeah. a puppy with no name. Yeah, like, yeah. I meet and then... Then the next one thing was like a puppy. The the puppy eats a person or is it's, weird yeah. stuff. Yep, and it happens a, two or three times, I think. Yeah, really interesting. But I like that device. I like it when the uh the the, the a character is singing a thing or whistling a thing, and then the score takes it over. Mm-hmm. Um, they do like, you know, Die Hard 3 does it. Like, <laughs> you know, or, or actually Die Hard 1 does it too. Um, I think it's in Die Hard 1, it's Ode to Joy maybe? I don't remember. Anyway, but I think that's just a fun and very cool and very effective technique that that was something the <laughs> in, in all of the craziness of what was going on, I was like, I feel like I'm in good hands at this point yeah. in the movie, even though I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> so, you know, that's nice. <laughs> right. Um, something I do, yeah, notice similar to his other films that works for me in a way is we never are really given a chance to catch our breath. And I think <laughs> that yeah. works. No which, kidding. Yeah. Uh, the last little thing I had, I just like the detail of her... Um, I guess, old Mitsuko, whatever you call it, mom slash Mitsuko, the way the author, the way she eats with her hands and just kind of like shoves food into her mouth. It's just, I think, a... It's effective. A a good detail just to show this person is not a part of the rest of the world. Yeah. Very tragically. Yeah. All of the damage... I think actually this is kind of how I walked away from it. This is, to me, I'm watching the damage that's been done by the worst type of person doing the worst type of thing to another human being. 
It's just damage. It's just damage across the board. And and like the movie's really good at at showing like depictions of the damage or or the results of the damage and how the damage manifests itself. And I think that's commendable in a way of like <laughs> to be able to show that in kind of through the entire spectrum of things it's shown metaphorically it's shown thematically it's shown quite literally um it it it's shown like through behavior it's it's really it's shown psychologically it's it's quite uh it's quite complex and i think that's you know a success of the film indeed agreed would you be ready to move on to our next yes. section? All right. <laughs> Here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I mean, I didn't have anything aside from what we said up front where it's just... <laughs> Possibly because of a first viewing, this whole, the middle chunk can just kind of feel like a slog I was tuning out of. It could also be the the, the dopamine thing that we talked about the <laughs> yeah. way out of the episode. Like, I don't know. I feel like I might like it better a second time, but I don't want to watch it again anytime soon. Yeah. So I, I there's one big thing, I guess, uh, one big just... Uh, construct i guess it would be that this film employs that i think i just personally don't like um and that is the constant almost pollyannish narration <laughs> i don't know it's it's maybe pollyannish is the wrong term but it's borderline that it's sort of disconnected that's what I liked about it and, and what I, works about it for me. Really? Because it's you, you think about it as someone in trauma just kind of speaking like, this is what happened, this is the way of the world, then this happened, then this went to this. If, I don't know, it feels right. It allows for just enough like uh, poetic interjections that kind of, I don't know, add a nice something-something to it. I just think, yeah, I think I just don't like narration. Like, I, I was... I was like, I can we? I just wanted it to stop and just have a movie happen. So it's you know it's a decision that they they made that that is the movie. So I think I was coming from uh, there's narration like that in Love Exposure, which mm. I think you would like more as far as the narration in that. Just because I'm convinced everything is perfect and works in that movie, so it just it just reminded me of that. So it was just super familiar and felt yeah. just I don't know, just felt cool to me i really didn't like it it felt like i was it was like putting me in a the wrong type of trance um where i was even less compelled to focus on what was going on mm. um you know honestly it, it, that could partially also just be a factor of like reading subtitles it being late like i watched it like this is the last thing I did before I went to bed. It's like I'm gonna watch this movie and then I'm gonna go to bed. That <laughs> what, was maybe what a film. A, maybe a mistake. <laughs> um, had I known it ends where Good we night, were going, Tim. I probably would have done it differently. Sweet dreams. 
Um, I did not have sweet dreams. <laughs> um, that part of it, yeah, that was a big hindrance for for my enjoyment. It like just didn't work for me. Um, the oh, let's see. Okay, I'm not sure how to get this across. Um, I think there's a loss in translation thing that happens literally in the translation. Uh, or, or I just simply don't know how, well, I don't know how um, the Jap- Japanese language is 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 received when it's spoken. This is a really vague way of saying the subtitling doesn't seem how anybody talks in real life. And I and I had a hard time kind of connecting the way the subtitling is presented with what's going on in the movie. And trying to be like, wait, or is this just how Japanese people talk in a way. <laughs> right. I have no idea. So I was like, I'm not sure what's the truth. But I really had a hard time. I was like, and maybe this is too, it also could just be the way the script is written to be particularly stilted and kind of, um, I don't know what the right word would be, but childish in a way. It's too bad because I feel like as long as it's consistent, you should just be able to go, this is the movie. It's like aside the point, you know, that's just well, the outside reason I, the movie. Concerns. Yeah, the reason I didn't think that was necessarily the case is because I felt this way in other Japanese movies, I think in particular, that we've watched where I was like, there's a style of of sort of talking or phrasing in the in the subtitling. Where I'm like, that's not re- that doesn't seem right. I wonder. I mean, I'd have to think back to Oni Baba, which seemed more like the most trying to be a realistic depiction, but that was like a completely different era. I know and it's, setting it's hard. and film. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to. I should have actually just pulled an example and 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 been like that. That this there was a moment where I was like, this isn't working. This is not how people talk like that they're using the wrong word it's it felt like literal translation of words rather than how anybody was like the meaning of what somebody's saying and that just may be what happens a lot of the time yeah and i'm like it's super distracting and it it pisses me off that i don't know any other languages <laughs> that like can't- what a, just it sucks that i'm so basic. I feel like that's the good <laughs> motivation is you pick a, a country where you really especially have a fascination with the cinema and mm. make that your language to yeah, learn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, what else did I not, that did not work for me? Um, I mean, kind of we touched on a lot of it. It's just the subject matters hard. Um, <laughs> After your big rant on why it was so important, I know. <laughs> I know. 
I don't know that it's not that it doesn't work for me, but it's like it's um the I know that this is a style. I mean, it's a form style thing uh, of of structure, I guess. I just really the long slog of of act one in the like I find that the structure seems to be this is true I think in a lot of um, uh, international films you've got this super long first act like 45 minutes to an hour long and then you've got a super short second act and then like a solid you know standard half hour third act sometimes actually those last two are reversed as well um where you just feel like you've spent an hour and 40 of a of a movie waiting for something to happen and then they're like okay and here we go and then it's done i mean this one that was all working for me both in i mean i told you it was difficult but it was still working for me in the sense that it was difficult in that meta sense of really just not being able to escape the horror of mm-hmm. the the world, her situation. And then also just the whole dream logic sense of yeah. feeling like there's something unconventional or unpredictable. So that way when like the switch kind of did happen where, wait, who's this? Wait, the oh, the author's writing this story? Wait, but not? And wait, where did this come from? It It just felt like the right kind of, the timing of the rug pull on that felt yeah. good because it felt, disorienting and odd versus if it had come, okay, here's the clear, like what I'm evolved to feel as the, the first act ending transition. Okay. And then here we are into this by not having that. It only worked way better for this one. I thought. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not, I, I, it's to get into it like more precisely. I think I'd have to watch it again, but like what? Well, let's pause and watch it again. (laughs) Oh man. What moves the plot forward in this in this story? The story forward yeah. in this plot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. Like, what would you, if you had to say, here are the moments that stand out as, like, here's what pushes us forward. It's it, The push-pull was in the mother-daughter's confrontation in the, the writing, the story reality. Right, but what actually moves us into a new understanding of what's going on? I feel like there's only like two moments. They're like, I don't know. That was the thing too. They didn't seem it. It they didn't seem like okay. This was the clear midpoint turn. It's no. just kind of like were these asides presented along the way in this kind of weird, I keep saying dream, you know, yeah. experience. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it, it not. I don't think that you need to be so like overt with your story, um, you know, turns or whatever. But I felt like we spent all this time kind of dancing around this dream, and then suddenly the assistant is like okay, here we go. And then the movie's over. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just something about, I mean, I guess they give you a couple clues. They have that like sort of um, 
AA type meeting thing for people who are have I, I think it was kind of for um body modifications. Exactly, yeah. So that's a clue. I think I needed more grounded clues that we we're going somewhere for me to like really enjoy it. Maybe that's what it is. Cause I like the mystery and I like that we're like trying to kind of follow along, but I needed just a little, maybe just for my personal taste, needed a little more grounded something. <laughs> so I don't know. Other than that, you know, right. Which I wouldn't be surprised if they were there. And just <laughs> That's clear, right. They might, they might be there. <laughs> just clear on a different viewing. Yeah. Um. That's right. that's it. All right. I don't know. Then with that, we can move on to our next section: things of note. Things of note. <laughs> this should be interesting. I think it's noteworthy how <laughs> how sparse this Wikipedia page is. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I think <laughs> we can, you know, point out in our, our context of our show here. This was his film right before X Day Hair Extensions. Oh wow, whatever that means. And we have another film that I've been wanting to see of his in our hat, I believe, called Cold Fish from 2010. So okay. as far as rounding out our CN Sono hat pulls, we got that coming up. You wanted to say something on the poster earlier, Tim. <laughs> the actual theatrical release poster is the mom having sex in the doggy style like position, like her face in the front of the poster and her entire body with the husband behind her. Except it's like a statue in the place of the husband in the way you see oh yeah i mean it's like a cherubic statue that takes over the image of the husband that's a it's a pretty overt (laughs) and aggressive poster yeah like for that to be the theatrical thing which then makes me kind of just feel like where was this what what was who was this movie for where did they think this movie was gonna go it's sion sono man yeah He's like a weird, people know what they're getting at this point. Like it's just going to be, it. this is just for this very niche art house kind of like, it's never going to be wide release. It's never going to be, like it's not for that, I guess. I mean, I think that's an interesting based, discussion of like intention when you're making a movie. But he, I think he, big conversation. I don't know. I think you see him playing with genre in such a way where because of the ending, you you get at you know this is horror <laughs> like the yeah and the the, the blood walls all mm-hmm, that stuff mm-hmm. the Just, mention of clive barker <laughs> yeah all that stuff mixed with uh the the yodorowskiness of it i don't know it's yeah you can see what it is i can see what it is i but but when you see that imagine being a japanese person you see that in your megaplex and go oh yeah let's go see that honey hmm <laughs> Probably not. I like this review. That I mean, I don't like it, but I, I think it's amusing. So there's this in in the Wikipedia. It says reception. There's one line. Russell Edwards of Variety wrote that the film quote shocks, provokes, but ultimately bores with its tasteless indulgences, and that it will 
be most at home at midnight fest sidebars or anywhere else where a trash aesthetic is embraced. I don't think I agree with that, yeah. but that's pretty that's a pretty harsh um point of view. Trash aesthetic. Yeah. What lot. is what is he ta- what does that mean? <laughs> the poster, I guess. <laughs> it's trashy. Okay. Hmm. Well, it certainly has its fans on uh letterboxed. Okay. So people like it. Did you, here's another question that I had. Did you immediately think of Moulin Rouge and that sort of like vibe of the circus? No, but just because Moulin Rouge I've just seen once and it was 15 years ago. Yeah. Because it had come out, I think Moulin Rouge was maybe like in 2000-ish. Well, I had a question for you, Tim. Or 99. Okay. The... Father's fate, which we've described, the being made limbless mm-hmm. and held, you know, there and put in the cello case, all that. I think it's really interesting where we're at now. We can use ourselves as like a demarcation point and where humans are at evolutionarily in our relationship with our instinct for violent revenge or just revenge. Mm-hmm. Tarantino plays with this a lot, interestingly. Mm-hmm. You know, conjures mixed feelings about how we <laughs> feel about violence. Yeah. Could we, do we want to do this ourselves? So, so how despicable, <laughs> you know, beyond dis- dis- despicable the father figure is. Did you find yourself, like, what was that play for you of seeing his fate? Like, were you going, yeah, yay, F this guy, or this is something I wouldn't want on anyone. Not that one. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I didn't have any, I I had zero emotional response to him being limbless and chained up. I just was like, whatever. He should be dead anyway. Yeah. So I, this is... So he should be dead then. That's uh, like this guy would deserve the death penalty for you. Yes, probably. Um, I, uh, I don't, ha- so, so I, I remember hearing a really interesting NPR story at one point about ret- like sort of the, I think they called it like the retribution gene <laughs> that some people have it like that they just when when they feel wronged they this this thing in them is activated to seek out retribution and to make the other person suffer in such a way that makes them feel like they've they've been uh what's the word like that the, they not justified but that they they feel satisfied it, that the other person has learn their lesson or gotten what they deserve or whatever, whatever. And, you know, I think torture, for example, would fall into that category. I just don't have that. Like when somebody does something shitty to me, I just disconnect. I feel like in maybe just watching movies, talking about movies with you, you 
really feel for certain characters and if something has happened to them or you feel for people and something's happened to them where you can get caught up in their, if they have that gene, maybe. I mean, you, you love like the, like, uh, the, the revenge, the violent revenge aspect of Last House on the Left remake. So yes, so this is very specific, right? You're exactly right. I don't believe in making somebody suffer at the hands of retribution. I believe in just disconnection. And so when somebody gets their head cut off uh, and I feel like it's just in the context of the thing, <laughs> I generally don't advocate for people getting their heads cut off. But in this context... That's that's it for me. I'm like, good, got him, right? When somebody says, like in um, Ichi the Killer, that when you start to enter the realm of I'm enjoying this like sadomasochistic enjoyment of making somebody feel pain, I don't like that. Like, I just don't like it. I don't feel like it's necessary. I don't think it does anything. So like in audition, what she's doing to him in that and what I guess it's what's happening in this one too. I don't like it. Like I don't feel like I'm not cheering for that. Yeah. No. It's weird the the plight or the, the, the little mini journey I found myself found myself going on and I guess kind of ended a plight or a question was like that you know, philosophically, I'm so like, yeah, maybe more what you said, like you, you cut off. I don't, I don't, I don't even think we're there. I don't think we have answers. Like I don't have the solution, mm. but I don't, but I don't, you know, believe in death penalty and like revenge. Yeah, I, I think I generally don't I think either. Violence begets violence, cycle of violence, mm -hmm. all that, you know, philosophically. But that's why, you know, bring this all up in the context of, but yet we're still evolutionary at where we can get these urges kind of totally. thing so like what i find myself wanting to see for the father in this kind of story would be for him to somehow and i get an instinctual revenge way just to go through exactly what he put the daughter through you know let's say like you know, just sort of like that whole, like, this is exactly what you were doing to someone else, you know, take that kind of thing, you know, no more, no less kind of thing. Yeah. But then, but then I'm like, but you can't, like, he's never going to be right. a 12 year old girl with a father again. That's so right. it was, it was, it was I weird. understand intellectually why people go there, but I always end with what you just said. It, 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 it you can never have that person have that experience. So you have to kind of, in a way, I guess it's a, it's, I guess it's an exercise of like removing your ego. Cause like if you think you can make somebody else suffer in the way that you suffered, you can't, you just can't like every individual's experience is going to be their own. And so trying to recreate that is I think kind of futile. In a hopefully less, uh, <laughs> in a non-dangerous way. Like yeah. When I'm talking about the instinct, if my cat here like walks up to me and just like puts his hand on my face and I'm like, what are you doing? I'll like, put my hand on his face and he'll go like, what are you doing? I'm like, see, yeah. it's like, but that's it's so different. Stupid. That's different because it's just based in, it's, it's kind of based in just mirroring. Yeah. Whereas, like a baby or something. Right. Whereas yeah. I, so just this insight of how I view the world, the, the attitude that some people have of rub your nose in it to teach you the lesson. I, I fundamentally disagree with. 
I think that that is almost as far in the wrong direction of learning. Smoke this pack of cigarettes. Right, as you can get. Like when I see people like, you know, a dog pees on the floor and they put the dog's nose in it, I'm like, I want to physically decapitate that person. I'm like, that is the stupidest way of looking at things from my, for me. I, you know, whatever. No, we know, I think, uh, animals pets and humans alike we are way more receptive to a um uh positive reinforcement uh yeah and i mean you just think i i feel like maybe you know you tell your your stories or just i don't know you you hear stories a lot people say uh oh i you know i i broke this one rule of my parents once or yeah i heard a friend you know saying stole money from my parents you know coin jar or whatever once sure. kind of thing and when she found out about it, uh, you know, I said, oh, what's my punishment going to be? She said, I don't I have to think about it. I don't know. But he said that her utter just sadness and disappointment was like more than oh. anything to just, you know, make him never want to do it again. And she didn't even yep. end up giving them a punishment. Yep. But then if you do, that's when I feel like you see like the bullies created of yep. just this like trap of, you know, yeah, I agree. I, it's funny you mentioned that. I had that exact memory almost the other day. Okay, so this made me think of this time in my life as a child when it was a phase where I had established an understanding of like how my parents reacted to me doing something bad, whatever it may be. And I, so once I understood that as something that was coming, I I disliked that interaction so much that when I did something and I saw them catching me, whatever it might be, or or knew it was coming, I immediately was like, I'm so sorry. Can you just give me a punishment so that we don't have to have the discussion about it? Yeah. Like, like I know. I would I know. literally be like, can I just be punished? Can you just skip to that? And they'd be like, no, <laughs> like, that's not the point. Like, what are you doing? And, you know, and have to actually, like, work me through the lesson of why what I was doing was wrong or whatever. But, like, what was my whole point of bringing this up? Oh, you had mentioned the same thing, right? Like, the same sort of idea. It's way worse, in my experience, to see your parents disappointed and that sort of the sadness that that comes over them or just, like, the look of, like, (sighs) and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God, I just want never to feel that. I'm just trying to tie this all back now to our film. <laughs> I know. It's, we started with revenge. Well, I think what it is is that revenge and and just punishment and just sort of hard force reactive, like, good, bad, blah, like, you, you know, consequence in a sort of non-intellectual uh, realm never it never works like it just doesn't like hitting hitting the kid doesn't make the kid learn a lesson it doesn't make them a better person either well, it like fucks them up i don't know maybe it's just i'm feeling like a disconnect from the conversation that's still here for this this movie because it's 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 what the father's doing maybe in some you know way is a kind of punishment, but it's not the deliberate kind of like 
punishment for doing something. He's just normalized everything as far as just as, yeah. oh, this is just our happy family life. So any revenge in this film is from the perspective of the, well, of that's you, true. the victims yeah. getting revenge on the fathers. We started. Yeah. Well, we kind of got, I don't know, maybe we got wrapped around a <laughs> sort of the, a winding, endless path. I don't know. Either way. Which is a good uh, apropos to revenge, I think. There's, yeah. There you go. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, then. Oh, you know what? Here's how you wrap it up, wrap it around. I think part of what is underneath what we're talking about is healthy parenting versus unhealthy parenting and the effect that that has on a child's brain. When you start tipping into guilt complexes, uh, you know, power dynamic, uh, um, obviously uh, boundaryless behavior, uh, all all of these all of these things that just they lead to really breaking and messing up the development of a child's brain. And so, you know, there's a health, we know there's a healthier way to do it. And yet, you know, there's this whole spectrum of philosophy and pathology of what it is to be a parent. And I think this movie in a lot of ways is really like pointing at that because the end of the movie is to me way less about the what the father did and more about the mother's um what's the word uh um uh starts with a c <laughs> not conundrum <laughs> no no com- com- complicitness yeah in that like that's almost more of the issue of the movie for the 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 daughter character like yeah the dad was doing the worst thing but he's so fucked up that it's like it, you, you don't forgive it you just accept that he's unhelpable but the mom she she could have just stopped it or helped or been like we're out of here but she just went along with it and then in doing so, that broke her brain too. It, I don't think it was as simple as a just for her. No, at, of course not. Uh, along the way. But from the kid's mind, you know, from a kid's point of view. If it was bad, you would just stop it. They, I think the kid's going, what the hell? Yeah. Like you're the adult here and you're just going along. Right. No, me as to say, so that means then that immediately continues to normalize it right. for the kid, yeah? Yeah. Anyway, there you go. We did it. <laughs> All right. Did we? Was I wonder how this is going to play out for a listener. They're going to be like, I, what did I just listen to? Go watch the movie. You'll, you'll <laughs> Well, hopefully you did watch the movie. That's why I keep forgetting to say up front in our episodes too, is we hope yeah. you watch the film and then join us for our uh, this discussion as if you're a part of it the best we can have you here. Yeah. Um, we're dismembering it. You watch it so then we can dismember it and tie it all back here or not. <laughs> yeah. Great. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> we just, yeah, we're just concerned with the dismembering part more so. And yep. anything else is bonus. All right. Well, with that then, we can put somewhat of a strange bow 
on Strange Circus and see if we have some recommendations for you and each other for this week. Okay, okay, okay. So remember, I'm pretty sure I recommended the show alone. They have a spinoff. <laughs> I've been watching the next season of Alone, which is great. Um, but they have a spinoff that I found on Hulu called Alone, colon, The Beast. And what it is, is it's very interesting. They, they at the top, they, they have this little sort of disclaimer that says um, the animal in this was, was ethically you know, killed under the rules of the native people in the area, blah, blah, blah. So they have this whole disclaimer. But the show is essentially, they take three contestants, they drop them on, uh, you know, an, a wilderness area in like just, just south of the Arctic Circle. And they have left a large animal carcass. I think the first episode is a moose. The second episode is like a musk ox. Um, and they say, you got 30 days to survive with nothing. You get no tools. You get only your clothes. And you have to go, you know, obviously your first order business is to go find the, the carcass and uh, harvest it for yourself with whatever you can find. So they run as, you know, they get a, a flare sent up from where the, the animal carcass is and they have to go toward the the where they saw the flare find the carcass harvest it like actually figure out how to take what they can before predators or you know or the meat itself goes bad and they have to do that whole thing so that they can survive for 30 days in the wilderness with with nothing they have to build everything from scratch which is super fascinating to me um and there's all sorts of information of like methodology of like you know ancient people that that we know about archaeologically and and like the the techniques that these three contestants it's every episode is different three contestants but the the techniques that they're employing based on the history so really fascinating stuff if you're you know obviously it's a hard one to swallow watching them harvest a, an animal but if you can get through that, it's very interesting. Each episode covers the whole 30 days. Um, so, you know, it's not it's not a slog. It's a pretty brisk show. Um, but super interesting. So just this, the, it's fascinating to me to see this, the, this methodology of how people lived on this planet pre-anything, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years, right? Like, us humans, the version of us that exists, like our brain, our essential shape and size, hasn't changed for 300,000 years approximately. So 300,000 years ago, there were us, like just us, you and me, same, same exact brain, roaming around doing our thing. Yep. And the, this show is essentially, with you know some caveats obviously, but essentially being like, good luck, see if you can do it. No laptop. <laughs> yeah. No nothing. It's pretty, it's gnarly, man. It's cool though. Great. Well, since uh, we were talking Sion Sona today, of course I've already recommended Love Exposure and I haven't been watching too much lately aside from just I've been uh, watching Twin Peaks The Return again. Uh, 
So, I, yeah, no, I mentioned it earlier. Why not just watch Suicide Club if you haven't seen that, the other Sion Sono movie. I dug that one. Uh, I think you might be into it, Tim, because it combines it the kind of um, the the detective hunt kind of that that's an aspect to it. It's just as messed up though, mm. as, or it's it's plenty messed up. What it's about, also, school kids committing suicide together. Oh, great! <laughs> but in a very <laughs> odd way, of course. Okay, the motivations mysterious. Anyway, great. Yeah, there's one for you. Fun. Tim, I'm so excited to pull from the hat. Hey, be my guest. It's been a long time. Here we go. It's been a long time. Two weeks. What is going to be for next week? Where I get, where you'd been doing it for me recently. That's true. Where I was telling you to stop. So now uh, I get to know it before you again. All is right in the world. And I pull another Japanese one I've really been wanting to <laughs> oh my see. God. From 1960. Whoa. Jigoku. Okay. Great. I've really been wanting to see this one. Far out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll see you all next week for Jigoku. Jigoku 1960. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you found us at dis- or at dismemberinghorde.com. We got our links. So our things like our our Instagram, you can go to that. Whatever, though. It's fine. We're just happy to have you here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Great. That's all you have to add, Tim? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then, uh, in closing, whether you find yourself uh, enjoying the circus or not, <laughs> thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Ha, 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 